but I, you know, I mean, if I'm honest with you, and I think you want me to be honest with you, mm-hmm. when it comes in, in my sense and experience, the system of conservative evangelicalism needs to be burned to the ground because because it's it's there's just I mean, when you when you take what that really says about God, what it really says about other people, what it really says about you, and it's just evil. It's just wrong. My mom turned 18 in the 1960s and she doesn't remember Stonewall. To be fair, she can't own a beer kid that the bricks launched at police me to exist and I think about that now down the ballot the ones I love and I don't know yet I voted for you friends welcome welcome back to the podcast you showed up for another week so happy you're here. Welcome to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn. I'm your host, and this is episode number 143, and it's my conversation with Chris Kratzer, who wrote a book called Leatherbound Terrorism, subtitled Crucified by Conservative Evangelicalism, Resurrected by Jesus. Um, I'm not even going to explain the title. We're just going to roll into the episode in a couple minutes. But let me tell you something. If you grew up in the evangelical world, read this book. If you're deconstructing out of the evangelical world, read this book. If you pastor or lead or teach in the evangelical world, read this book. It will undoubtedly tick you off in many different ways. But it's so important. Because what Chris does in this book is he brings to light some things that are problematic in the evangelical world. And he talks from experience. Like he's not somebody who's sitting up in the top of the bleachers, yelling at the people on the field. This man played on the field for a long time. He played the game for a long time. He was part of the game for a long time. He knows the rules. He knows the laws. He knows all the different things. He knows the playbook by heart. And he's stepping back and saying, hold up, there's some stuff in here that doesn't really work. And uh, his book shines some light on those things. And it's a very important and at times very strongly worded book. But it's really good. So I really highly suggest you pick it up, give it a look, check it out, share it with your friends. Uh, it's some really good stuff. I'm looking forward to sharing it with you. Uh, heads up, this episode is dropping on Monday, uh, the Monday before, like the Monday of Holy Week. And this week, we have something really special going on. Uh, Stop back on Friday, Good Friday, because we're going to be talking to Diana Butler-Bass. So it's like a bonus episode, I guess. Uh, Diana Butler-Bass will be stopping by to talk about her new book, Freeing Jesus. The episode is already recorded, and it's really good. Uh, We spent a lot of time talking about Jesus as Savior, which is why I'm dropping it on Good Friday. Um, Jesus as Savior, and freeing him and freeing ourselves from the baggage that that word, that phrase, Jesus as Savior, carries. Because I don't know about you, but for me growing up, Jesus as Savior was all about saving me from my sin, my wretched, dirty self, 
But man, we just blow that all to pieces in this episode. And we talk about some really good stuff. We touch on original sin. We touch on so many different things. Uh, So I hope you stop by on Friday for that episode. It's a bonus episode, usually episode release on Monday. Uh, But since it's Holy Week and it's Diana Butler Bass, I mean, we're going to do something special. Uh, So stop by for that. Also, if you're not already part of it, go to the go to Facebook. Go to the Facebooks and uh, look up What If Project Community. It's a closed Facebook group. And once you're in that group, you will see that there's an event for only members of that group. And it's called An Evening with Diana Butler Bass. She's going to be coming onto Zoom to chat with me and anybody in that group who wants to be part of it. Uh, You pick up her book, you read her book, you come up with questions about her book, ask her questions about the book, about your faith, all the things, and she is going to spend an hour to an hour and a half just talking to us. I mean, how crazy is that? Uh, Go Google Diana Butler Bass if you don't know who she is. She's one of the top scholars, historians uh, in the progressive Christian world. She is so such a beautifully smart woman. I'm, I'm so excited for this. Uh, the fact that we are going to have access to talk to her is just mind-boggling. So that's going to be happening uh, in the mid to late April. I don't remember the date off the top of my head. But if you go to Facebook, look up What If Project Community, uh, ask to join the group. I will let you in. You can sign up for the event. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really, really looking forward to it. Uh, a couple of things. If you want to support the show, uh, visit patreon.com slash whatifproject, buymeacoffee.com slash whatifproject. The links I will put in the show notes. Patreon's kind of like a monthly giving thing, like $3 a month, $10 a month, whatever. Every tier gets a reward. Uh, Buy me a coffee is for the person who doesn't really want to do the tier thing, which is fine. Uh, it's like a one-time uh, one-time uh, offering. What What is the word? One-time payment. That, that sounds too businessy. It's it's a one-time donation. Uh, so maybe you come across a blog post, you come across, I don't know, a podcast episode, and you're like, man, this was really good. Uh, I wish I could take Glenn out for coffee. We could talk about it. Uh, you can go to buymeacoffee.com, throw $5 at it, $10, whatever, uh, just a one-time contribution. That's the word I'm looking for, a one-time contribution uh, to the show. So I'll put the link to those things uh, in the show notes, and also the Heretic Shop if you want to buy a t-shirt a hoodie, uh, backpack, sweatpants. We've got all the things there. I'll put the link to that in the show notes as well. Special music today from Semler uh, off of her new album called Preacher's Kid. If you haven't listened to this album, uh, yeah, I don't even, I don't know. What are you doing with your life? <laughs> what are you doing? You have to go to iTunes, uh, Spotify, look up Preacher's Kid, uh, Semler. She wrote this this album of these crazy good songs. Uh, deconstructing out of her, her her faith tradition, I guess you could say, uh, writing these songs uh, about God and faith and church and Jesus. And she labeled it as Christian. And it's a Christian album, but it's not it's not that kind of Christian album. <laughs> and some people didn't appreciate the fact that it was labeled as a Christian album. Uh, and if you go read some of the comments on iTunes, you'll, you'll see. Uh, but if you're in a place where you're asking questions and you're deconstructing out of your uh, kind of your faith tradition, in particular like evangelical, this is going to speak to you loudly. Uh, sit in a in a quiet, semi-lit room 
with a cup of tea or a cup of coffee or your drink of choice and listen to this album and it's going to take you places. Uh, she puts some words on some feelings. Feelings that a lot of us have, but we haven't really had the words to express them. She does the work for us and uh, it's really, really good. So uh, I'm going to put all the music will be uh, from today's episode will be from that album. I'll put the link to all of her stuff in the show notes. Go visit her online, share her stuff. Uh, she will probably answer you on Twitter and all the different places. She answered me anyway. So uh, yeah, anyway, check it out. Semler, Preacher's Kid. All that to say, my friends, this is episode number 143. And it's my conversation with the man, the myth, the legend, Chris Kratzer, about his book, Leatherbound Terrorism. Enjoy. When I retire, I will simply write a short story for my revenge about this town, these people, these gamblers. The first song I learned spoke of Bethlehem. So is that prophecy? Or is that brainwashing? Cause no one ever pitched the Greek gods And I don't know why not I think that Athena'd understand me When my chips have fallen My Messiah came calling But what if he'd not? Would my soul just rise? Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Today we're sitting down with my friend Chris Kratzer to talk about uh, his faith journey and his book, Leatherbound Terrorism, subtitled Crucified by Conservative Evangelicalism, Resurrected by Jesus. So Chris, welcome to the podcast, my friend. It's an honor to talk with you. Hey man, it's great to be here. Thank you. So before we jump into your uh, into your story, maybe kick us off a little bit by talking about yourself. You know, who are you? Uh, what do you do? All the things we have to know about Chris. Yeah, well, um, I'm married to my wife, Amy. We've been married, gosh, 26 years, I think. Wow. And uh, yeah, and we've got four kids, um, Harrison, who is 21, and Kaylin, who's 15, and then two girls, Ashton and Madeline, who are 13. And so it's great being a father and um, uh, doing that kind of thing. Um, For professional stuff, um, I'm a financial advisor Mm. uh, for a major company, um, but I, you know, really love to write. And um, that's my ministry, you know, uh, to the people that uh, surround that writing and who are listening and um, taking it all in. Um, That's really uh, where my heart beats the most. So if I could, if I could make writing uh, the kind of thing I could do for a living, I would be doing it right now. But right. Uh, <laughs> such is life, right? That's right. That's awesome. Is this your uh, first book that you wrote? Yes. Yep. It's the first book I wrote, and I, I kind of had to be dragged into writing it. I went into it very reluctantly. Um, didn't feel like, first of all, there was really an audience for it. I mean, mm. you know, my story is just, um, I don't know. I just didn't feel like it was, uh, you know, that big a deal but some people uh in the writing world really just kind of encouraged me and um and so there it is boom there it is right that's right well i'm glad that they encouraged you to write it because uh, as i said before we hit record it uh touched a lot of chords um in my own life so uh leather bound terrorism is the name of the book and i'm sure i'm sure that title hasn't caused any waves (laughs) 
with any groups of people. <laughs> right, right. But uh, maybe tell our listeners a little bit about, um, you know, the book. What's it about? Who's it for? Uh, why should people go buy it? Well, you know, it's really my story. Um, and it kind of starts at the, be- at, at the beginning of my life, really, because there are certain things that happened in my life that really, I think, set the groundwork for me to being more vulnerable mm. to the conservative evangelical system of faith. And maybe a little bit more susceptible than others to getting sucked into that and, you know, um, eating it hook, line and sinker. Um, So I really kind of set the table for that. And then I really get into my life and then uh, really kind of the breakdown that I had, you know, the really uh, time when I realized that this stuff just doesn't work. And it was uh, turning me into a person that was less like Jesus instead of being more. And, um, you know, and obviously the book really kind of unfolds that really talks through that. And, uh, and then, um, it, um, you know, kind of walks you through my thought process in terms of, uh, obviously the deconstruction part, but then also kind of the reconstruction part about, Mm -hmm. you know, how I moved forward and, and what that was like. And, uh, so that's really kind of the, the main gist and really, and it hits hard pressing issues, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, what conservative evangelical stands for and the kind of person that made me, but then also, you know, how did I walk away from those, those beliefs and how did I, <clears throat> you know, reshape, you know, some of the ways that I was thinking. Yeah. Now I know the book obviously focuses on the, the details of your story, your faith journey, uh, but could you give us maybe just a high level overview? Cause it's specifically about like the subtitle of the book, because it says that uh, evangelical, culture, the conservative evangelical culture crucified you in a sense, but you encountered Jesus in this fresh way and you were resurrected to something new. So maybe give our listeners a taste of what that refers to. Yeah. So for me, you know, in my experience, it crucified me in the sense that it just, it, it put to death so many things that were already good, you know, Mm -hmm. inherently good. Um, And, you know, put to death my freedom you know, mm-hmm. put to death my understanding of, of who God really is, put my put to death of, in terms of what really works spiritually and what doesn't. It put me to death in a way that it just put me on a treadmill mm-hmm. of self-righteousness and, and trying to be more and do more and somehow achieve these levels of spirituality that really are unattainable and really worthless um, in, in attempts to try to attain. And so it just really put to death a lot of the things that I think um, Jesus really stands for. I encountered the, you know, the break from that was really when, you know, basically, um, I came to a point where I just really kind of wanted to end it all. I mean, there was so much that wasn't Mm -hmm. working and there was so much that I just, as the more I looked at myself truthfully, that that I just really hated in the person I'd become. And there were some health circumstances that added to that. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of a breaking moment where, you know, just basically coming to the edge, you know, of the cliff and just wanting to kind of end it all, you know, you know, literally. And then I really, at that moment, as the book unfolds, I really encountered God and Jesus in a fresh new way. Mm. And I really got tapped into the grace message, the pure gospel of grace message that um, I had been introduced to in different ways. Mm. And so I began to search that out and to play that out and to really uh, drink that in. And the more I did, I, you know, followed Jesus out of conservative evangelicalism and, and resurrected into a into a new sense of myself, a new sense of God, a new sense of uh, my purpose and what it means to to be a spiritual 
Christ-like person. I love that you, this, the way you, you kind of paint that picture of um, having different understandings or different um, concepts of Christ or God crucified uh, by involvement in the evangelical church. And the other night I was, I have a three-year-old daughter and I was uh, laying in bed with her before she was falling asleep. And uh, she always asked me, will you tell me a story about Jesus? And so I was trying to tell her like a story about Jesus in the most simple way possible. And like the, the idea that I was trying to get across to her and I'd always try to get across to her is that, you know, Jesus is your, is your friend and Jesus is always with you. You know, you're never alone. And that's like the extent of her understanding of, of the gospel message. And right. I thought to myself, I was thinking about your book actually, and just thinking about our conversation and this thought crossed my mind that like one day, whether it's someone does it on, you know, consciously or subconsciously, whatever it's the church, it's a pastor, somebody's going to come along and try to crucify that idea Absolutely. and make it so much more complicated than it needs to be. And yep. it's going to draw, it's going to force her to draw into question you know, is this view of God that my, my mom and my dad gave me, is this enough or is there more, or is it different or have they lied to me or whatever? Like all these things are going to come into her mind. And I was getting, I was like in bed with her feeling like so overwhelmed um, yep. just as I was thinking about that and just the repercussions of that. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you and uh, I just want to be real with you and would really like your perspective on this um, because it's something that I wrestle with a lot, but like I get hammered sometimes because I tend to rail against evangelicalism and the harms that it can do to people in the name of Christ. And these aren't like just observations I've made. Like I'm not just making observations from the bleachers, but much like you, like I was raised in it, uh, educated in it, employed in it. I was a a player on the field, you know, for a long time. And so I'm not afraid to call out the problems that I might've witnessed or experienced. And at times I hate to say it, but even was, was a part of and played, played a role in. And so once in a while, like, I'll get that Facebook message from somebody um, and it says something like, you know, it's, it's not fair for you to lump all evangelicals into your grievances. Like there are some out there, even conservative, that don't do the things or act in the ways that you are critiquing. And, and that's certainly true, but I would love to hear your thought. Like, is it possible to be a conservative evangelical and not partake in the crucifixion of everyone who is different than you and like assuming that it is like what might it look like to be a conservative evangelical and do the work of christ in the world in a faithful god honoring way because i mean we could rail against evangelicals all day long but what are some things within it that are redeemable and good well first of all you know just kind of hitting that you know through a couple of the layers that you brought out mm-hmm. one i don't i don't apologize at all for getting up in the Kool-Aid of conservative evangelicals <laughs> at all. Yeah, I, more people sure. ought to be pissed. As a matter of fact, I get really frustrated when I see people just kind of lukewarming it in terms of mm. their angst towards this. I mean, this look at what it's produced in our country. Look at look at how it's been utilized and 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 um look look at look at what's come out of the cesspool. I mean there's just it's yep. uh, um it's been terrible. And so so when people come to me like you said say, well you know you're too harsh or you're too you no know, bullshit. I, I crawl yep. file on that. No, I, more people ought to be screaming from the mountaintops. This is, you know, one time I wrote an article that said, um, you know, uh, it, you know, that conservative evangelical is the worst evil on the planet, uh, that that system of faith. And, and I still believe that to be true. Um, and I think, you know, some people really didn't like, you know, or didn't really understand the title of my book, Leatherbound Terrorism. But all those people now are are eating crow because, I mean, Look at what we have. It's nothing less than Christian, conservative, white, 
evangelical terrorism that's birthed. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know when everybody's going to wake up and say, hey, this is really uh, a massive personification of evil that we are dealing with. And really, uh, if not the not, if not the sum source, it certainly is a co- huge contributor to um, the the evils uh, that we're seeing now played out in our in politics and, and elsewhere. So, yeah. uh, you know, but that aside, you know, to be in your question, you know, is every conservative evangelical a part of that? Well, I say yes and no. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know. You know, when I was a conservative evangelical, I didn't really realize what I was doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't realize the the crap that I was bathing myself in. Mm-hmm. And so, I think there's a certain amount of brainwashing, and there's a certain amount of, of of ignorance that one can experience as an evangelical that they like. I, I didn't really really know. Okay, mm-hmm. so in that sense, no. I mean, in in is every conservative evangelical you know, completely homophobic or homophobic or, you know, carrying a Trump, you know, flag in the back of their pickup truck. Mm. Uh, I don't think so. Okay. So what what I really am concerned about is the evangelical system of faith. Okay. Mm. That's where the real, um, you know, uh, issue is, you know, the writer in, in the, in the old Testament said, my be- my people are being destroyed from a lack of knowledge. It's it's the problem, is the system. It's the it's the mindset. It's the it's the uh, ignorance of the system. It's mm-hmm. the thoughts of that that are really uh, create the behaviors. You know that create. Um, you know you think before you do. You know and, and that's the psychology of it. You, it first becomes a belief, then it becomes a behavior. Mm-hmm. And so um, the the real root of it to me is the system. You know. Okay, then you're going to have people that adopt that system to different levels, right? Mm-hmm. But it's really the system that you know I really feel needs to be the focus. And remind me of the of the question that you kind of last asked because I really wanted to address it. Uh, yeah, what I was wondering is, you know, just that we, I mean, you and I, I mean, you, I'm sure you see my Facebook posts, I see yours. I mean, we could rail against evangelicalism all day long, right? right. But like, what are some of the things? within it that are redeemable and good. And I ask that because like, I have friends who are still in the evangelical world and I know I'm really close to some of them and they're really good people who are trying to make a difference from the inside out. So like for somebody who lives in that world, ministers in that world, pastors in that world, like what are some things they could do within that world to make the, to make it more redeemable? I think really uh, one of the things, you know, for me was to really challenge the beliefs mm. um, to really challenge, you know, my own sense of honesty, mm. you know, with myself, you know, is this system of beliefs that contains, you know, a certain amount of a transactional relationship with God. Mm. Does that really reflect God? And if you play that out, you know, if you play, you know, you know, um, I wrote an article one time, if, if evangelicals got what they really wanted, you know, if you really played that system out, it looks like what we're finally seeing, you know? Mm-hmm. So for me, um, you know, the challenge that I would bring to those folks is, is, you know, okay, great. You know, you're, you haven't, you know, you're doing some good things, you know, you're, you're, you know, really trying to make a difference, mm-hmm. but to me, the ultimate root of, of what we're really looking at is in the thoughts about that is in the thinking about that. I mean, do you really believe 
as conservative evangelicals that God had to kill his own son. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, that, that an act of violence against his own was the only way that the God of the universe, that that was his best idea, right. Mm-hmm. On how to forgive, you know, people, you know, so you, you have to go kind of back and go rethink the whole thing and go, now, wait a minute. Okay. So in your system of faith, um, you know, a lot of the people are, are in your system of faith believe that women are, are, are lesser, yeah. right? Yeah. That women are kind of an object. Okay. Is that really, really what you believe, you know? So there's a lot of things within the system of faith that are taught and that are believed and that are adopted that, that maybe not everybody adopts, but, you know, my sense is that those folks really could um, continue on a path of redeeming conservative evangelicalism by really rethinking some of those things and say, wait a minute, is that really, is that really what I should, even just about the Bible, is the Bible really perfect? Is it really a perfect transcription of the heart of the divine? When we see, you know, babies being murdered by God and all these kind of things, you go, really? So the writers were dead on about that. Really? <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I think a lot of questions about, is the Bible wrong? And am I wrong? Yeah. You know, could it be that I'm wrong? Could it be that the Bible is not what I thought it was? Because conservative evangelical really, you know, you, you, know, you have to adopt some of those basic tenets of salvation, the inerrancy mm-hmm. of the Bible, all those things you have to adopt in order to really call yourself a conservative evangelical. And I think the most important thing, you know, in a redemptive way is to say, is this really, is this really truth? Mm. You know? Yeah. Does that make sense at all? Yeah. A hundred percent. And I don't even know if I'm answering the question. You totally are. But I think the, I think the point is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the thing like for evangelical people who might be listening to this or pastors, whatever, like to to let yourself wrestle with the text a little bit and wrestle with what you what you've come to believe because I think yeah, for me like me- being back when I was when I identified evangelical I would never dare question those things I would never dare let right. my mind wrestle with them because it's like well this is the way that it is but I think if you right. to your point if you let yourself ask those questions like do we realize what we're saying about God if we believe A B and C like it has to raise up some sort of alarm inside of you. Well, and see, the problem is the context of conservative evangelicalism, as a system of faith, is death to spirituality. Yeah. I mean, the whole the whole crux of going to an evangelical church is to become a member. In order to become a member, you have to sign a membership covenant. In that yeah. covenant, you have to subscribe to a certain set of beliefs. Mm. The, the, the unification in a conservative evangelical church is agreeing upon a certain set of codes and creeds that we are all going to adopt. So there's no room for question. If you're a pastor, the cost of questioning is incredible. Mm -hmm. You can't question as a pastor. And if you question, it's got to be privately. And if you have a change of heart about something, you keep that private, right? Because if you don't, you know, off to the guillotine, you know, Um, and you'll lose your job. And then if you lose your job, then what are you going to do next? Yeah. You know, and so there's a lot of risk for the for the person who's sitting, you know, in the pew. And there's a lot of risk for the pastor. In fact, uh, the church that I pastored, the Grace Church, Grace Place, um, which uh, I started, uh, it's a, it was a progressive church 
at least that's how we put it out there. But still, we were in a small town, small southern town. And so we had some people who who still held on to, you know, the uh, some discrimination towards the LGBTQ community. Well, I did a message, right? I did a message where I talked about a different side, you know, a different way of looking at the Bible in terms of those six clobber passages, you know, that people use to condemn that community. And all I did was to say, listen, you don't have to believe this. You don't have to subscribe to this. We're not a church where everybody has to be at the same place spiritually. Our our unity is based on our diversity. Mm-hmm. So, and I put that out there. Okay. So I, I talked about, I went line by line through the clobber passages and showed how they really were not condemning to the LGBT community. Mm-hmm. Well, I had uh, one couple that came up to me, right? Very sweet couple, uh, you know, loved, you know, the church. And they said to me, said, you know, Chris, it's not that I don't believe what you're saying to me. It's not that I don't subscribe to that, but I don't think I can handle what it's going to do if I admit that to my family and to my friends. Yeah. I had another guy who was a worship leader at the time, right? Super nice guy. I'm sorry, not a worship leader. He played bass in the thing. Mm. And he knew we, we programmed all of our sermons to be, you know, ahead. So people knew what was coming up. Well, he knew that this message was coming up on, you know, on, on being gay or the LGBT community. And so a week before he said, Chris, I, I just can't be here for that message. Mm. And I said, what, what's the problem? And he said, well, he said, you know, I just can't be here. I said, listen, Jeff, if you don't agree with this, bro, you're going to still be on the worship team. We're, mm. we're cool about that. It doesn't matter. I mean, listen, we're all in this together. We're all taking this journey together. You may be here. I may be there, but, but it's our connectiveness that, that, that binds us. So, so sure. don't worry about it. Right. And he said, well, Chris, I said, he said, Chris, I just can't come. I said, Jeff, what are you afraid? This is a quote, Jeff, what are you afraid of? And listen, this is what he said. He said, I'm afraid that you'll convince me. Mm. Wow. And see, so when, when people are in that system of faith, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot yeah. of fear that, oh my gosh, maybe I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong, what's that going to do to my relationships? And if I tell people I'm wrong, if I'm a pastor and I'm wrong, What's that going to do to to me as a pastor? And so um, the costs are great and significant, which is, I think, a lot of reason why people stay in it, even though secretly they might not be, you know, uh, taking it all in. Yeah, that inability to question is a huge, huge problem. I mean, I think I've told this story in the podcast before, but I remember when I was at the very end of the program I was in, in in seminary, I was just kind of this podcast was like bubbling in my brain and I was really kind of toying with what to do with all these questions and thoughts that I had. And I was in like the very last year of the program and I was reading, I was, I went back to my Rob Bell books, (laughs) which is a a no, no in a lot of circles. And I went back to like love wins and I was really thinking about hell and I was really trying to wrap my mind around different ways to think about it, understand it. And his book was really influential on me. So I had posted a couple quotes on Facebook here and there. And yeah. I forget, I was, it was in class right before class started. And there was a bunch of people talking and there was a very prominent figure in the seminary who was there. And I walked into the room and sat down and he, he looked over at me in front of all these people and said, Hey, Glenn, you better stop posting Rob Bell stuff on Facebook because people are going to think really weird things about you asking all these questions. And I remember inside, like I thought to myself, all of a sudden, like this place, this institution that I once felt so safe in and and a part of, I felt like I don't fit here anymore. And like, I have a a decision I have to make. Like, am I going to talk about 
what I honestly believe, the questions I have, or am I going to stuff them all down, go on like normal, get yep. my degree, get yep. a job and live my life yep. in a lie and yep. keep all my friends. <laughs> but that's really what it boiled down to. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's a scary it. thing. I mean, that's a scary thing it's for people to, to grapple with. And so that's why I think you see that they're really good people. I mean, you know, we're, we're all good in a sense, but there are really people who are good, who I think are there, you know, still in the system because, yeah. you know, there's something maybe that's, you know, feared or something that I don't, I don't know. I don't have the answer to that, but but, you know, I mean, if I'm honest with you, and I think you want me to be honest with you, mm -hmm. when it comes in, in my sense and experience, the system of conservative evangelicalism needs to be burned to the ground. Yeah, because because yeah. It's, it's there's just I mean, when you when you take what that really says about God, what it really says about other people, what it really says about you. It's it's, you know, and it's just evil. It's just yeah. wrong. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that the word evil in the New Testament, the, the, the completely deep origin of that word means to try to wrench from God, right, something that you already possess. Mm. That's, what, that's what the actual word of evil means. It means to, to try to seek from God, to try to get from God something that you already possess. Well, here's the cool thing. God has given us everything all good things you know and and so when we try to get god to come in right when we try to get god to you know when people say oh god just come in and bless this place mm. that's evil when yeah. when you and i pray to god and beg for him to do something and say oh god would you please just you know give me a job or something that, in a sense that's evil right mm. Be because it, you know it, we're asking god we're we're, we're thinking that god we have to wrench it out of his hands, right? We think that God is so stingy or that our, that our relationship with him is so transactional or that he is so impotent that we have to do something. We have to do a song and dance in order to get it out of his hands. Yeah. And if, you know, and so there's a, there's an evilness about it. You know, mm -hmm. there's a, uh, that I've got to do something spiritual, you know, for God to do whatever it is that, that, that we want or things like that. And so to me, the way that the conservative evangelical postures a believer is that you have to, you know, you and Jesus have to do these things together. You've got to mm -hmm. do your part. Jesus is going to do his part. And then you can have the successful Christian life. Right. That's right. Yeah. And that to me, when you really break that down and really, really reflect that in terms of that, who does that make God? Right. Yeah. And then who does that make me? And that who does that make my life to be that to me, is evil yeah it's like you're a rabbit and god's got a carrot he's dangling in front of you now it's like just go a little bit more a little right. bit closer yeah right. you have this quote in the book i was actually going to read this um i have it written down here uh you say i was told that i just needed the color within the lines give the proper responses think and believe all the right things fight the good fight of the faith and then i too could become successful and satisfactory enough for jesus and Absolutely, yeah. that line, I mean, that just, that really made me think um, as much of your book did, but just that whole idea of like striving for perfection. Like I've always yep. had that, I've always been like a perfectionist and I'm only realizing now that a lot of that stems from this idea that I picked up from evangelicalism that God will only be happy with me if I check all of these boxes. Absolutely. And then the lie 
has caused me to believe that when things aren't going well in my life, yep. that must mean crap, I missed a box, right? And I must have done something wrong or could have done something better. Like I must not be believing the right things. Even even to this day, like if something goes bad in my life, I'm like, oh crap, I must have, I had to hit the refresh button on my theology and rethink it all. (laughs) And see, that's why evangelicalism can keep going because sin is big business. That's right. Condemnation is big business. I mean, uh, you know, Hmm. that's why you go back, right? Because you couldn't do all the steps that you got last week. That's and then right. this week you can't do all the steps that were given out of the sermon this week. Yeah. And so you go, go you go, you got to come back and you got to come back and you got to repent again. And then you got to, you got to renew your Christian life. You got to pledge this. You got to recommit mm. yourself to that, you know, and, and it's, and it's big business, you know, right. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like golf magazine. <laughs> golf magazine is the same freaking issue. Every issue is the same. Right. And what is it? It's a new way to hit harder. It's a new right. way to putt better. It's a new yeah. way. It's a better glove. It's a better club. It's a better way of doing this. You know, a new course you got to play. You and take that I mean, and you translate that spiritually. That's yeah. conservative evangelical. Yeah. And a lot of this theology, I mean, came to be in the midst of powerful empires, right? I mean, think of like the Roman empire, you think of Constantine, you think of a lot of this theology kind of, got ingrained into the system by political powers. And like you said, to your point, like sin is big business. If you can keep people thinking that they're constantly condemned, they're constantly living in sin, God and the powers are constantly unhappy with them. It's very easy to control people. Absolutely. All right. Here's another quote for you. And maybe we can drill down into this a little bit. Uh, You say theology and the Christian life are like sex. No one likes to be told that they're doing it wrong. (laughs) Yet the truth was, for all of my conservative evangelical faith, I was, in fact, a man whose faith was no faith at all, but rather a spiritual veil to a restless and empty life. And that last line gets me, a spiritual veil to a restless and empty life. I feel like there's a lot to unpack there, so unpack it for us. <laughs> well, first of all, I've never been told that I wasn't good at sex, so we got to get that out. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> 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 Maybe we'll title the episode of that. Chris Kratzer said. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because no one, you know, that's the thing. And you were kind of addressing this, at, you know, in terms of, you know, speaking out against conservative evangelical. Mm. No one wants to be told that they've, you know, believed a lie. No one wants yeah. to be told that they've, you know, drank the Kool-Aid. No one wants to be told that. I didn't want to be told that. Mm. Right. And, but yet, um, it was a truth that I had to come to understand, and I had to realize it through looking at what it, what the consequences of that faith did to me, my relationship with my family, my wife, um, who I was as a person, my relationship with God. Yeah. And so, you know, I think for me, what I learned about conservative evangelicalism is it, it, it doesn't make you better. It just makes you better at faking it. Mm. and and that's kind of the essence i think of that quote is to say it was a spiritual veil. it was a it was a it was a veneer Mm. you know it was um uh something that you know i had to work so hard it was a it's an image that i had to create and and maintain so you know it's like mrs doubtfire you know i had to put on my my spiritual makeup and and, Mm. and dress a part that just wasn't me yeah and and, and, and when I, when I didn't, you know, as a pastor and it, it just was also, if I was honest with myself, it was also freaking phony. Yeah. And I, you know, um, and you can convince yourself to a certain point. Um, but then 
when you really, when the crap hits the fan in that, you know, the weight of life really presses down on the shell of a person you become, it just, it, it breaks you eventually. And that's what happened yeah. to me. Yeah. And so I realized that what I had been believing could not stand the weight of, 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 of real things in life. I mean, it could not, you know, it didn't make me a better person. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't help me to uh, conquer the strongholds in my life. And matter of fact, it just made those worse. Um, you know, like Chinese handcuffs, the harder you try against, you know, things that are not good in your life, the, the, the harder, you know, you're, you're, you're just more imprisoned to them. Yeah. You know? that's right. And so that's really what the essence of that quote is to say, you know, I just, um, I was an empty person deep down inside. Yeah. I think that's a really good way to put it is when, like you said, when the, when the pressures of life press down and like the shell of who you've become, like it, it can't withstand the the pressures of, of life. And I've told this story. I feel like I've been telling it a lot in the podcast lately because we've been having these conversations, but when my daughter was born, um, my wife was, they, they put her under and uh, she had to go right to the NICU. And so my wife's under and I'm running down the hall chasing the doctors. We're bringing this baby to the NICU. And I remember I, we got her settled and I'm sitting in there and I'm looking at her and she's this little tiny thing. And I had my hand like through that little hole in the tank and she had her little hand like wrapped around my finger so tight. I remember I said to God, like, this is right when I was just starting to ask a lot of questions. I said to God, like, God, if, if I'm looking at this child right now and you're going to tell me that this child has sin inside of her, that that sin makes her detestable to you, unless she's going to say some kind of prayer when she becomes of age, whatever that means, and she's going to go to hell. Like, I think you're a monster. I I don't know what, I can no longer hide that within me. And I've told people all, you know, all my ministry days, well, you just got to believe this is what, you know, God is good, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, not good. This is my flesh and blood I'm looking at. And if you look at my child, and don't see her the way I do. I want nothing to do with you. Amen, brother. Yeah. Preach it. Yeah, I mean that that pressure, like you said, the pressure just beat yeah. down on that shell and it broke. It's you know? yeah, it doesn't withstand real life. Yeah. Wow. And so that's why you have to be. That's why you have to become a cult kind of person. Yeah. You you have to have so much uh, denial and faking and right. convincing of yourself to hold that thing. It's like a, it's like a tornado of ignorance that just spirals out of control. And it has to, because mm-hmm. to, to put real life into it just won't ever, it just, you know, to put truth to it. I mean, I mean, think about like what we've got with QAnon and things like that. It, it just, you know, if those people ever came down from, you know, from the spin of all that yeah. and, the, and the cult um, of that and realize the truth of it, I mean, it would just, you know, it just can't withstand it. But so there has to be that much denial and, and things going on for, for things like that to keep going. Yeah. Now, how many years ago was it that you were a pastor, like in that, in that setting? Uh, let me count years? back. Um, I want to say, well, um, it would have been, let's see, I want to say nine, nine years. Okay. Yeah. And so you said that your oldest child is 21, right? Yeah. So that was, um, so it may have been like maybe between seven and nine. Got it. And now just out of curiosity and you can, you can deny, you don't have to answer this question if you don't want to, because I'm I'm probing maybe, maybe a little bit too deep, but I'm, I'm curious as to what, like, obviously you raised your child in that culture for a while. 
Yep. And then you obviously moved out of that culture. Yep. Were there like a lot of deep conversations with your children about like what, yeah. like your own change, your own deconstruction, yeah. like what that looked like? Yeah. With him, with him, there was. Yeah. Um, and I actually wrote an apology to him in the back of the book, mm-hmm. um, you know, where I just said, Harris, you know, and um, yeah, he's, he, he's seen the change, you know, mm-hmm. and um, uh, I think that was very freeing for both me and him mm. to put a whole new um, um, environment, a whole new atmosphere to our relationship. Yeah. You know, he, he sees me as I am, not as yeah. I want, you know, not as I was. And good. I mean, God, I can't tell you how, how, how freeing it is to finally be able to be myself without fear That's good. And, to, and to love people without prerequisite. Yeah. And, you know, that is, I, I, I can show, I can, I can still see the moment mm. where I woke up to that, where I was able to, I have this friend who is, who, who is gay, uh, lesbian. And she, um, and I always had restraint towards her. I, I felt like I always had to, you know, love her from an arm's length, you know, yeah. Yeah. and the moment when I, you know, really changed and I could just love her as a human being and, and without any kind of, um, you know, measuring stick or without any kind of distance or, or, um, restraint. Oh my gosh. That was just, it's like breathing for the first time. Yeah. You thought you were breathing, right? You think, Oh, yeah. I'm breathing. And then you realize, Oh shit. Now I'm really breathing. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And you're like, I'm intoxicated to this stuff. I can't, you know, once you walk away from the system of faith, you're just like, Oh my gosh, what was I thinking? What was I doing? I thought this was life. You got to be kidding me. That's such a good point. I think I work for Apple. And so I have, I've worked for Apple for, it's gonna be 11 years pretty soon. So I've worked with a lot of people who are all over the spectrum of LGBTQ. And I remember when I first got the job at Apple, I was like pretty much like fresh out of the church world because I had pastored a church for three years. And for various reasons, like this is just not going to work for me. (laughs) I had to leave that, that world. I get this job at Apple and like I was still really wrestling with like the LGBTQ question. You know, I had all the clobber verses in my head. I've been taught how to read them. I only understood them in one way. And I just felt like for the longest time, like all of the friends who I made who were gay, like you said, were just kept at an arm's length. But I remember the day where like my felt like I just let my heart go and I said, well, my brain's going to have to catch up. Like I feel like my heart believes these people are good. My heart believes God welcomes these people just as they are. My brain hasn't understood how to read these passages yet. That's just tough. And I remember like the day I let my heart just go, I was just, it was so freeing because like for the longest time I thought to myself, if I ever get into a conversation with this person who's gay, I'm going to have to tell them, you know, (laughs) what the Bible says, like, how am I going to do that? What am I going to say? And I was, I was always in the back of my mind, but the day I let that go, it was a game changer. Yeah. Well, you know, that scripture comes to mind that taste and see that the Lord is good. The problem is I think what we think we're tasting, we think we're tasting, you know, in the conservative evangelical, you you know, deep down, you know, it's, you know, it's not good. Your conscience, you know, you can become so seared, but when you taste, when you really taste God and you allow that to happen, yeah, it's really good. It is for real. All right. Last question for you. Talk to the person who feels like they're crucified right now. Uh, Maybe they're carrying the pain of their own uh, evangelical experience. Maybe they've been shamed for asking questions, reading Rob Bell books. (laughs) They've been abandoned by their 
tribe. They're kind of deep in deconstruction, don't know where they're headed. Like if they're on the mic today, sharing with you their fears, uh, their sadness, their pain, even that somewhat sense of exhilaration inside because they feel like they're going somewhere good. Like, what would you say to that person? Well, first I would say that they're not alone. Yeah. You know, there, there are people, you're not insane. Right. And you're as not much alone. as people tell you, you are insane. Yeah, you're no, not insane. No, you're not insane. <laughs> you're, you're not backslidden. Yeah. You're not walking away from something that you um, shouldn't, you know, That's and right. it, it, when you start walking away, it can be very triggering because you're like, Oh crap, maybe I'm, you know, oh my God, what happens if I'm really, you know, making a mistake here in doing yeah. this, but you're not. Mm. And, and, um, and so you're, you're not the only one who's having these thoughts. You're not the mm. only one who's, who's having these impulses to break away. Mm. You're not the only one who's having these questions. So Joe, you're not insane. When you look, when you look at conservative evangelicalism and the system that you're in, or you're walking away from, and it makes you want to vomit, that's not insanity. That's, mm. that's actually the mind of Christ. Um, knocking on your door um, yeah. and trying to further get your attention um, within you. And so I would first say, listen, you're not insane yeah. and you're absolutely not alone. And then I would say, um, don't feel pressured, you know, don't feel pressured a to have it figured out. Mm. Um, and then B don't feel pressured to, to move from where you are, you know, let, let it, let the process happen mm. in your time and within your own journey. Don't, don't try to take someone else's journey don't try to duplicate what other people are doing who are deconstructing or walking away. This, this is your place. This is your time. This is your journey. Don't put any pressure on yourself. Let it happen. Yeah. Just, just, just walk it out the way you're going to walk it out. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just because someone is in one place of this process doesn't mean you need to be there. And just because, you know, and you know what, if you have to go back, if you have to take a couple steps back, you know, if you have to re-examine something again, then, then you do it. You know, yeah. there's no right way to do this. There's no yeah. set way to do this. Mm. Um, and, and yet at the same time, and I would also say um, that um, there'll be a day when you will absolutely thank yourself for, for taking this journey um, and stepping away. Um, if that's where you're led to do yeah. um, stepping away from all this, you'll look back and you'll go, why hadn't I done this sooner? And you'll look back and you'll go, oh my, if you're like me, you'll go back and you'll think to yourself, man, I wasted so much time. Yeah. And, and you'll go back and you go, I'm so thankful that I took the risks. Yeah. I was willing to pay the costs. Yeah. And it feels like you're going to lose all your relationships. It feels like, you know, when you go to Walmart, people are going to be looking funny at you. And that may happen. Mm -hmm. You know, people that you know, you're going to try to avoid um, because they're going to look down on you. But I promise you, there's a whole new community that you will become a part of that is waiting for you and is, and is ready and, and will give you a taste of family and relationships like you've never had before. Yeah. And, and so I would just say, trust the process, mm -hmm. you know, your own journey. This is your own journey. This is not anybody else's. This is your own journey. Take your time and then know that this is an upgrade. You know, this is, this is, you're, you're stepping closer to Jesus, not away. Yeah. You're, you're coming more aware of God, not less aware of God. Mm. You're becoming the person that um, God always created you to be. Um, um, and you're, and you're just, you're catching up to where you've already been placed in Christ. You know, yeah. you're, you're not, there's no self-improvement. There's only becoming who you already are. Mm. So this is not a, this is not a, this is not a journey of improvement. 
and self-improvement. This is actually a journey of resting in who God is. It's resting in who you are and it's resting in who everybody else is in, yeah. in the truth of that. So, um, and it feels weird. <laughs> it feels like you're, you're taking your clothes off. Yeah. It feels like you're, you're becoming naked. It feels like that all the things that you trusted, all the things, all the crutches that you had around you to make it feel like you were walking those, when those things get removed, you're actually going to find, you're not going to fall. You're going to find your feet. You're going to find the person that you really, really are. That's right. And it's a beautiful thing. So that's, that's right. what I would say. That's so good. Does the, does the little evangelical voice inside ever go away? Because to this oh, day, sometimes I still think to myself, yeah. maybe I'm wrong. What if I'm wrong? What yeah. If, it, yeah. That's, yeah. I think that's a good thing to hold on to. Yeah. Um, but it does um, over time, you know, it's like post-traumatic stress syndrome. I mean, over mm. time, the distance between those things lengthens. So at first you get triggered, you know, sometimes it can happen frequently. You're like, Oh shit, am I doing this? Is this bad? Is this bad? Right. And all those voices come back. Right. Yep, yep. But then over time, the distance between those lessons and the power of those things lessen. Well, man, we're just about uh, out of time, but this has been so good. Uh, thank you for taking the time to join me and uh, hopefully we can do it again soon. I feel like I've made a new friend, man. I do too. And I really can't thank you enough for the opportunity and the honor uh, to be able to, you know, a be on this journey with you, Glenn, but also to be uh, able to be on this podcast, man. It's a great, great honor. Absolutely. Well, you are welcome here anytime. And real quick, where can people go to connect with you and your work? So uh, you can go to Facebook and just look me up by name. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then also uh, you can go on Instagram and follow me there. I don't really do a lot of spiritual stuff on Instagram, but I do yeah. some, but, um, but then uh, my website, my blog is www.chriskratzer.com. Awesome. Well, I'll put the links in the show notes. And for our listeners, uh, the Facebook page is where the action happens because that's where you come out with some of your, <laughs> you come out with gun blazes on Facebook sometimes. I love it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I love it. All right. Well, I'll put those links in the show notes and we'll do this again soon. Okay. Hey, thank you so much. Thanks, bud. You bet. Bye-bye. If there's a good man you, you killed him today. Took him out for a drink and then you put him in his grave. You drove him outside of town, far away from his house. So when the bullet rang out, no one else heard a sound. If there's a good man, you, he's dead in the dirt. survived by the people you hurt and they'll gather in masses for him they will mourn the prodigal son from the day you were born
Crying out with a gun.